As Gen AI reshapes industries, understanding and leveraging its capabilities is no longer an option, it's a necessity. And that's exactly why at Hatchworks, we developed our Gen AI Innovation Workshop. In this workshop, we immerse you into a full day of learning, hands-on ideation, and building. We hit foundational concepts and show you how they relate to your domain. Then we develop actual use cases for your business and your industry. And we even build a custom GPT based on the use cases we define. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. All right, we got a good one for you today, folks. Today we got Hatchworks' very own Joseph Meisemer. He runs our solution consulting practice and has about 20 years experience building teams that build and deliver custom software solutions. And he's one of the few people that I give the tag of Agile Guru to. Uh, every time I talk to him, I'm learning something new. You know, I keep the notepad handy whenever I'm chatting with Joseph. He's just a, a wealth of knowledge with everything agile, everything building software in general. But welcome to the show, Joseph. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, excited to start chatting with you on a, a, a interesting topic today. And, and today we got a bit of a hot take uh, with a bit of a contrarian view on what most everyone in our industry holds near and dear to their hearts. And that's the beloved MVP approach to software development. Uh, you know, everyone's heard of the MVP, the minimal viable product popularized by Eric Reese. It's become the sole de facto way of building software full stop. Like it's just, it just is. Everybody knows the MVP. If you're talking about waterfall, you know, you kind of get shunned out of the room. Um, and if you try and speak against MVP, you know, you're sure to attract an angry mob with pitchforks. But luckily, Joseph, for us today, we're in the safety of our homes. This is recorded. Nobody's coming after us after the show airs, maybe. Uh, but we're going there today. Um, and don't get me wrong, MVPs have their place. You know, if you're trying to test a market hypothesis, build a proof of concept, test the technical feasibility of a solution, MVPs are a great way to go. We, we use MVPs for those approaches when you're building something new. Uh, but you can't, you know, apply this blanket approach to everything and just assume it'll work. And this is especially true when you're modernizing or redesigning a software solution. So, Joseph, take us off the top. Why does an MVP approach not work when you're modernizing software or redesigning software? Yeah, sure thing, Matt. Um, and I want to start with a, a little bit of a metaphor. Um, we're all familiar, I think, with the, the MVP metaphor. of uh, We're going to start with a skateboard, move to a bicycle, move to a car. Um, and I think that's a great metaphor for MVP software development. Uh, but if we think about uh, maybe an experience of driving a car on a highway, right? Because that's that's the point that you're going to be at when you finish that MVP project. Your front, your your customers have that car. They're zooming along. You know, in Atlanta, people move pretty quickly on the highways. Um, so let's think about what would happen if somebody already has a car that you gave them, and now you want to tell them you're going to start them back over on a skateboard with no warning on the highway. 
what's going to happen? They're going to be terrified, right? They're going to be zooming along at, at 65, 75 miles an hour, and then they're going to find themselves standing on a skateboard. Um, and that's probably pretty dangerous, right? So we can't, if we're taking an existing solution, we can't start people over from zero. We have to meet them where they are now, and that's using your existing software. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what so many people do, right? They they take this MVP approach. You hand your customer this shiny new object. It seems great, but it, it's not meeting the needs that they they have, right? And you can you get some upset customers that if you take that approach. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 such a big it's such a big risk. People get used to people get used to things, right? Every time. Um, you know, Microsoft changes the location of a button or a color of a highlight, you know, you'll, you'll have coworkers that are, are flipping out. Um, you know, we all have our experiences when somebody, um, changes the, the behavior of, of something inside our, our email client, right? We're so used to it. And if, if it gets moved, um, even if it's good in the long run, it's still such a shock in that, that intermediate, intermediate phase. Yeah. And so if we're, if we're looking at, you know, MVP building something new versus MVR, like let's baseline on a few a few differences, a few points of difference. So, uh, you know, kind of thinking we have this this checklist of things, right? If you have an MVP, a new thing, you're, you're testing a new solution versus MVR, you're trying to replace something existing. Primary goal of an MVP, you want to validate a market, validate a product. MVR or modernization, you want to migrate users to a new solution with little churn. You know, user base, none on the new thing, an existing base on the existing thing. You know, target users, you're trying to attract new modernization. You want to retain existing. Uh, competition's a whole nother side of it, right? Are you competing with existing behaviors with a new thing or your own solution with MVP? Uh, you know, so there's a whole litany of, of different differences here. And that's not even getting into the workflows and the technology and the culture and all those other pieces. So there's kind of a, a dividing line between an MVP, something new versus modernizing something existing. Yeah. And I, I think that that you touched briefly on it. But one of the ones that I think is really worth considering a lot is the question of whether you're, you're starting from from nothing or, or starting from your existing solution. Right. You may have already won over. um a bunch of people to, to doing, you know, whatever they're going to be doing on the, on that platform that you've built for them, which is great. It's such a powerful place to begin. Um, but you can't pretend they don't have that experience. They mm -hmm. can't, you can't pretend they're not used to something. You can't pretend that they're not, uh, comfortable maybe with the workflows that they've built around it. And if you try to take that away, um, without making a really strong argument in return, you're going to end up with a bunch of people who are unhappy and who might walk. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and people are, attached to their existing processes, right? Uh, but let's let's get into the six, you know, or so principles of MVR. So there's kind of like some core tenets that really start to mold this this approach and this methodology. Uh, so I'll kind of, you know, hit one, let's let's hear the the rationale and the details behind it. But the first one being with an MVR you're competing against your existing product. Yeah. So you know we talked a, a little bit about this just a minute ago, but hopefully people are already using the system that you're trying to modernize. And in that case, um, you're not just competing against uh, people from the outside, you're competing against your existing experience. Um, and so there's a possibility of, of scaring people away. Um, and, you know, this is a place where there's actually been a lot of study done on people's openness and willingness to, to accept change. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things that we found uh, are really powerful drivers uh, of, of maybe sticking with uh, older experiences rather than making a switch to the new one. And one of them is, is something called the endowment effect. And this is where people are really almost always value what they already have more than something new that they can get. Um, and they've, they've got that, that strong grip on, on the current piece. Uh, and you really have to pry that, that out from them. Um, and the other one is this idea of loss aversion, right? You know, we think that it might be the same. We might, we might be just as happy if we, if we win $5 and if we lose $5. Uh, but studies have, have pretty consistently shown that people feel, uh, two to four times as bad when they're encountering, mm-hmm. when they're encountering a negative experience than a positive experience. And this, I think, touches on one of the big risks you have to be aware of, right? Um, you might be able to keep something, but if you give somebody a bad experience where they lose a tool they're used to, they're going to be way more upset than if you give them a new tool that they didn't have before. Um, so this is something you really need to consider carefully when looking at your, your modernization plans, um, because that idea of, of loss aversion, making sure you don't take something away that people value, is way more important to your users than giving them a shiny new bauble. Yeah. And you, you, it's like that bird in the hands worth two in the bush. And it's not just like you can't supply a bad experience. You got to supply something that's better than what they have. Like something the same just isn't going to cut it. Right. It's a, it's almost a level, a higher bar when you're modernizing or redesigning something existing in a lot of ways. And, you know, you mentioned the endowment effect. It makes me think of my, so my brother-in-law, he's got a, a dog, sweet dog, you know, great, great animal. You give him his treat and he turns into this like, you know, Jekyll Hyde type of thing, protects it. He, you know, if you even get close to it, you're losing a finger. And it's the same kind of thing. People are protective of what they know. It's like humans are, are weird animals. I guess dogs are too. Uh, But, you know, people are protective of what they have. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. No, I I was, I was just going to say that that's something that's, that's incredibly true. And it's, um, it's so important to keep in, in mind is that the, the way people are going to fight to to keep their workflows the same um, and and not have to give give something up when they make a change. Yeah. And so the next one, uh, prioritize your most valuable users. I think this is a super interesting one. And it's a big kind of differing point when you think of MVP versus MBR. It's like, who are your key users you're prioritizing? Oh, yeah. Because in, in MVP, you're not even sure. Uh, you yeah. know, when you go yeah. in with that blank page, you're able to you're able to 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 draw all over it. You're able to make whatever uh, decisions you want and draw whatever conclusions you'd like because there's there's nobody there to tell you you're wrong. And um, when you're doing a modernization, you're gonna have people that are valuable, whether they're the the folks that are paying the most, the folks that are doing the most le- use, whether they're um, people that you're leveraging to to speak for you and, and, and do word of mouth marketing. Um, however you define it, there's going to be people that are going to be adding, um, that extra bonus level to your, to your, your user experience. And you, you kind of have to cater to them. I mean, don't, don't bend over backwards, but you have to be particularly concerned with how they're going to react to changes. Um, and you can't just kind of go in and, and assume that everyone is going to be reacting the same way and that the impact of everyone's uh, reaction is going to be the same. Yeah. in those, those users that use your system the most that are driving the most revenue. And we'll get into this as another uh, principle as well. They have some of the craziest workflows and uh, ways of using your product too. But the, the example I like to think of is it's, it's like you're building a condominium, right? 
floors one through 20, exactly the same, you know, two grand in rent, they're all the same, same ceiling height, same amenities, all that. But you get to the penthouse and they're paying, uh, let's say, I don't know, $20,000 a month, something crazy. Uh, and they want swimming pool, you know, they want their own elevator. They want a helipad. They want 30 foot ceilings. They want all these crazy amenities. If you're not considering that upfront, you're, you're out of luck by the time you get to need to start bu building that pen penthouse and you haven't established a sound foundation before you got there. Yeah. And I think along with that, um, too, you can think about, well, you know, maybe people are using your system in ways you don't anticipate. And so that needs mm -hmm. to be part of your conversation as well when you're talking to these these high value users. Um, you know, you put in a closet that you expect people to use for for coats and they end up using it for, for some other kind of storage or something. And be prepared to respond to people finding that new, uh, new exciting way to do something. You know, maybe you're you've got people who are used to having an elevator big enough to move a piano in, you know, mm. you can't replace that with a, a tiny little elevator if you don't talk to them and find out how they're using it. Um, and so be, be aware and be particularly aware of your power users, right? Cause they're going to be the ones who are going to dream up um, ways to, to take full advantage of everything that you give them. Yeah. So everybody picture that in your head, your customers trying to hoist a piano up the side of a building and how, how pissed off that's going to make them. So just mm -hmm. visualize that in your head when you're modernizing something in the approach you're taking. But you segue perfectly into the next one, which is understanding how customers use your product. And I think every, every customer or client we've engaged with, they're always surprised at how current users are using their system that they just were not aware of um, and as we're doing the research, these these new interesting ways of how they use the solution become unveiled. But uh, you know, talk through talk through that a bit, and, and also that that leads to potential opportunities, right? Once you start to learn these things, hundred percent. And I think that's one of the things that's so great is that um, people use whatever tools they're given to achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we're making a tool for maybe our in-house staff to use they're going to find the ways to do as many pieces of their job with that tool as they can. Um, and if that means that when you, you're starting to talk about how to replace it, you discover that people have been using your free text fields, you know, for, for really weird things or that people have been you know, tracking assignments in ways that you hadn't ever, ever anticipated. You both have to be prepared to support that, but it also gives you a great visibility into some of the valuable pieces you can do as part of the modernization process. Um, you know, if people have been using a notes field to track who owns a task, maybe grant people in the future the ability to assign tasks. And that opens up a whole space of ability to, to drive value for your organization um, as you find some of those places. Uh, you know, to, so you can automate on top of those pieces um, as, you, as you find the, these other non-traditional, non-intended ways of using the software um, as yeah. you go forward. And then there's always the uh, the tool that is, will be around. I think it's like a cockroach. It's never going to die. And that's Excel. If people are still, I promise you, using Excel somewhere in their process that you don't know about that you could, you know, automate and put into your solution. We've seen that a ton of times as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's always informative. Um, every time I've worked on a modernization project, there's always been somebody that's come up to me after a discussion of a workflow and been like, I, I can't tell you this when my manager was on the call, but yeah. here's all the steps that we do that, that nobody knows about. Mm. 
And there's, there's always something in there that you can capture and improve upon because people are having to cut corners. And if you can give them the tool as part of that modernization, it's going to be better for everybody. Improve visibility, less, less opportunity for mistakes. Um, all of those pieces come into play. Um, but having, being able to have those open and honest conversations about how people are using the tool and about how people are using other tools because the, the, the current one doesn't meet their needs, those are going to drive the ability to get really, really successful modernization projects. Yeah, that's powerful. And that almost gets back to the discussion we've had with Andy Silvestri on another episode where being able to get under that user experience, knowing how to ask the right questions. Like you mentioned, like when mom and dad aren't in the room, I'll tell you how this really works, right? Uh, but it's real. I mean, it, people figure out the best way to use things and it may not be the instructed way to do things. Uh, and getting into the next one. So this this segues into now identifying the most critical workflow. I think with MVP, the idea is let's keep it simple. Let's keep it end to end. Let's start with an easy workflow modernization, redesign, you can't always go that route. Yeah. Well, and if particularly if you've been stacking MVPs for a while, you know, you, you might have accumulated three, four, five individual pieces. Um, but much like when we were talking about the, the critical users, when we started with MVP, we had a blank page. We were able to pick a path and we were able to, to see if it, if it stuck with people and try another path and try another path. Now we've got people who have, who have worn those tracks into the ground. Um, and we're not going to be able to pretend that um, that we don't know what's coming. Uh, so we need to look for those spots where people are are doing those high value workflows. Um, and hopefully by this point, you've got an understanding of where the value is in your product. But if you can understand that and look at the things that are driving it, um, that's going to help you make the, the selection on the places where you're going to get the most uh, most bang for your buck when you're looking at, at going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really starts to kind of frame up your roadmap in a lot of ways. Once you identify, yeah. okay, who's our our most valuable user, right? Who's what's the what's the ways they're using the product? Identifying the most critical workflows. Then it starts to frame up. Okay, how do we how do we sequence this thing out? And that that gets to uh, the next principle, which is, and this this actually does connect back to an MVP type of approach. But you got to prioritize incremental enhancement over big bang. So I think that's one thing with MVR. This is not. Uh, an approach saying build everything, launch it all at once, and pray that it works well. That's not it. Uh, um, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, and it's. I think it's it's important to recognize here. We're not trying to throw away the entire idea of, of MVP, right? The idea of take a small slice and get people using it, so you're not sitting on value, uh, continues to to be in play, and you can see a lot of that. Um, as you get an understanding of your of your workflows, there's going to be places where you don't have to, to tear down and completely rebuild. Take mm-hmm. advantage of that, right? Get get people using the new technologies. You know, if you've got customer facing and, and internal facing, you can make choices about where you want to do your first, you know, UI update. If you've got process mm-hmm. pieces, you can pick you can pick a place and update a, a, a slice of the process. Mm-hmm. And get yourself so that you're seeing some of that value. Um, but I think when you look at these, too, these are all tied together, right? Your your most critical workflow might depend on which type of user you're looking at. Your incremental steps may depend on what your critical workflow is. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these are going to depend on, you know, wh- who's already using your system and how it's already being used and how you're going to try to to support that. Um, so that might drive like, oh, yeah, the most important incremental enhancement is to make sure that we don't 
delete any functionality, but we modernize it and we get it working better. Cool. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a good informed choice that you can make sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the way to think about it. MVR is a combination of all the MVPs required to migrate your existing customers to your new solution with minimal churn. That's, that's kind of another way to think about it. It's like, how do you, how do you chunk this thing up in a lot of ways? And the last one being, you know, focus on improving the function, the experience and the technology. Uh, A lot of times you'll have people kind of sway too much one way or the other where it's, you know, solely it's just technology. That's all we're focusing on. Let's lift and shift this thing to the cloud and not worry about anything else. Or let's focus too much on the UI, but your technology is old as dirt, right? Um, But it's all of those things that are you got to think through and prioritize when you get this opportunity to actually modernize something. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big piece with this is we don't want to do something for no reason. Like, mm-hmm. let's understand why we're doing things. You know, we don't want to just pick up and drop something into the cloud. We better have a reason for it. It's not It's not free to pick up something and drop it into the cloud. Yep. It's not free to completely redo our UI. It's not free to, to, to change our workflows. So let's understand. Let's make sure we understand. Why are we cleaning this up? Are we cleaning it up because we're finding that our our... Our team members can't do their tasks without making mistakes, and we've now learned a better flow to put in place. Great. Are we finding spots where um, we're not collecting the right information, and so we can't do the reporting we need to be successful as a business? Awesome. Let's collect that information. Let's do a project to collect that information. You know, are we finding that we're not able to scale, and so we're having performance issues because we have our application running on a single server in the closet in back? Awesome. Let's move to the cloud and give ourselves the ability to be responsive to our loads. But all of these are a reason, and it's making sure that we understand why we're doing it, so that we're not just like, "Hey, I've heard of the cloud. Let's do the cloud." No, let's let's do let's do it for a reason. Let's do it for a reason, and that reason is scalability or flexibility mm-hmm. or a new technology, um, not just not just because we want to. And I think that's that's so important for all of these is that, you know, if we understand why we're doing something we'll be able to position to tell our users what the value is going to be and offset that endowment effect. We're going to be able to make the right selection of which users we need to support first. We're going to be able to make the selection of which workflows we need to support first. We're going to be able to pick which incremental change we make because we know why we're doing it and we're not just throwing a dart at the board. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully by this point, you know, you kind of jive in thinking, okay, I, I understand why MVP may not be the best thing for everything. I now understand the why, but Joseph, how, how the hell do you do this? How, how does this work in practice? Uh, and you hit on some of it too. And that's, that's one of the most important things to consider. That's where I see some of our solution consultings work through this. You got to be intentional about how you're releasing out functionality, how you're communicating it to your users. Cause the last thing you want is unnecessary churn which relates into either unhappy users or lost revenue or inefficiencies. Uh, and there's you know several ways you can approach this. We got three favorite ones kind of at a high level we like to talk about, but take, take us through the, uh, the different approaches, kind of get down to that how layer. Yeah. So when we look at it, there's kind of three ways that we can, we can approach doing a, a modernization, of an MVR project. And, we don't always pick just one of these. These these play very well together, either um, between or within each other. But there's there's kind of three approaches that we look at most often. 
And one of them is called the functional approach. And this basically is where we look at a function that somebody does and we can try to, we can try to upgrade one slice of your function. And we can pick another function and we can follow that all the way through. And this is maybe a spot where um, you've got different users and they're, they're very siloed in how they use the system. And if there's no overlap in how people are going to use it, we can take a look at this functional approach and we can upgrade or update the flow for all of one type and then all of another type and then all of another type. And this is great if it's, if it's super siloed. Um, but if it's not super siloed, maybe we'll need to take a look at another approach. And there we might look at the process, uh, process approach. And this is a case where maybe we're cutting across different user types but we're able to follow a single flow all the way through and it sits by itself. And so we're able to track, you know, maybe an entire deposit flow from nose to tail. And then we can follow an entire audit flow from nose to tail. And this may have different people using, using the system at each step. Um, but everyone is going to be self-contained inside that process. They're not going to have to hop from something, that we've updated to something that we haven't updated mm -hmm. while following that flow. They may have to hop from updated flow to non-updated flow, but that's an entirely separate workflow and they can make that transition um, fairly smoothly. The third one is what we call the add-on approach and the functional and the process approach have been very focused on, you have an existing system that's doing everything you need to do and we need to, to take something new and, and um, bring it into that space. With the add-on approach, we've got a, an opportunity to take something that you're not doing at all yet. And this can be a new function, it can be a new process, mm -hmm. it, can be, it can be both, but we can take this and, and no one's ever done it before and we can bolt that on using our new, our new approach. Um, and then we can bolt on another system. We can bolt on another system. And this, this allows us to focus on these new places use the new technology, use the new workflow, use the new pieces and tools that we have available to us uh, while not touching any of the existing pieces. Um, yeah. And this is perhaps the most extreme example of, uh, you know, not messing with anyone's uh, current, current play space. But, um, you know, it's certainly an option. You know, if you've got something that's completely new, don't feel like you have to build it the way you built stuff three, five, 10 years ago. Look yep. for a way to build the new stuff with the new tools, and then you can come on behind and try some of the other approaches um, to to bring some of the pieces that you've built in the past uh, forward. Yeah, and this is one where if you're looking to get into a new market or maybe a new customer segment, that add-on approach is particularly interesting uh, way to kind of you know test that out. So so we got functional, process, add-on. Those are the three right there, um, and you know. It's, it's all about getting to what is that releasable increment? How are we thinking about the approach to really bite off this elephant, elephant one bite at a time? Um, we've, we've seen it fail on one side where you try to release an MVP and customers are unhappy. We've seen it on the other side where you try to do too much and package this giant thing together and release it. And that's not great either. So you got to have um, a dedicated approach and have the teams aligned on the approach that that's a critical thing because with something existing you're you're not you mentioned sandbox earlier you're not in your own little sandbox you got customer support you got uh finance you get all these different areas of the organization that you have to consider mm -hmm. yeah all right so go ahead just if you get another i was gonna say there's just there's so many moving there's so many more moving parts when you already have when you already have the car running 
mm-hmm. um, that you can't assume um, are going to going to play nicely together if you don't have that conversation. If you don't spend that time doing the the, the prep work to set yourself mm-hmm. up for success. Yeah, it's like what's the example? It's like you're building the airplane as it as it's flying. That's the startup example. It's you know very similar. You got you got an airplane flying. You're trying to completely re-architect it in the air and keep everybody safe. Uh, similar kind of uh, metaphor there. Um, but make this real for us. Do you got any examples, any use cases where either you've seen an MVR type of approach for great or on the flip side, a fail or a company maybe did not take this type of approach? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking a little bit about this before we, we talked and um, I, I had a bad experience with one of my uh, online banks and they maintain some of our saving accounts for, for my family and they created a new product that was in many ways um, really great. But I think they, they took an MVP approach to replacing an existing product and they, they sent it out the door where it could do the absolute bare minimum of this product, right? It was a savings account. It took in money and it let me take money out and it showed me my balance, but it couldn't do any of the other things that the old savings account could do, including set up a joint owner. Yeah. So I was, I, I used this to move uh, money around to, to handle banking with my wife and we were unable to link her, her, her accounts to this, to this savings account. And it completely defeated the purpose of creating the savings account, which was a place to, to, to bridge, to bridge the other accounts that we had. And it was incredibly frustrating because we had a, an established process that we were using based on the, the tools that they had made available to us. And by cutting out that core tool, when we needed it to, to upgrade that, that account, we almost walked away from that that banking institution because they made it impossible for us to do the core workflow that we had we had dreamed up. Mm. And I think this touches a little bit on that idea of, you know, they may not have expected people to use their savings accounts to bridge a couple of checking accounts, but that's how we were using it. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to be impacted by their their change in the process. Mm. Um, and it really it really caught us out and it was really a very disappointing and frustrating experience for us. Yeah, we'll keep the name of the bank uh, uh, protected yeah. and undisclosed. But yeah, it's it's they didn't understand your particular needs, and I'm sure what they delivered the new thing was probably great, shiny, awesome functionality. But it missed that core element that you, as a particular user group, I promise you probably weren't alone. I bet you there were other people in that same uh, scenario, you know, customer segment, yeah, that had that same use case in terms of how they use their solution. Quite possibly. Yeah, it was it was but it was a it was a clear instance of somebody getting to that bare minimum functionality that works if you don't have anything to compare it to. But as soon as you got a comparison point, you're like, I can't I can't go backwards. Hmm. I can't go backwards. Yep. Um, awesome. That's that's great. Uh, and I think we're about at a, a stopping point here, but like you know, MVR, so what are those core principles? You're competing against your own product, uh, you prioritize your most valu- valuable user, prioritize uh, incremental enhancement over your big bang, uh, identify the most critical workflow, understand how users are using your product. They got those paperclip products, uh, processes out there uh, and, and improve the, you know, the function experience and technology of it. And then we talked through the different approaches uh, as well. And, you know, we got some resources out there. You can find them in the, the show notes if you want to go a bit deeper. And I think, Joseph, this is one of those topics where we could go down a rabbit hole on an entire episode on any number of, of these areas. And we probably will in the future. Uh, but appreciate having you on the show. 
Uh, I know folks can probably find you on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest spot out there. Uh, but thanks for thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoyed the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Big news. Season two of the Built Right podcast is right around the corner, launching on February 6th. And in this season, we're going all in on generative AI. The guest list is insane, ranging from international AI speakers, founders of Gen AI products, experts in specific domains of Gen AI, and leaders across industries. And we'll even have some Hatrick's own Gen AI leaders as we dig into our generative-driven development methodology. This season isn't just for non-techies, though. Whether you're an AI guru or just AI curious, we're going to bring tactical real-world applications of how you can apply Gen AI in your work and your life that anyone can understand and relate to. And P.S. Gen AI will impact every single industry. So no matter your domain, you need to make sure you set a reminder every other week to listen to the next episode of the Built Right Podcast. While you're waiting for season two, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And give us a follow on LinkedIn to join the conversation and give us ideas on specific Gen AI topics you want to hear about. So get ready. Built Right Season 2 Gen AI Edition is coming your way.